Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. We, uh, I think, the, the the big news that's that's happening uh, right now in San Antonio politics revolves around the news last week. Uh, something that we kind of suspected was going to happen, but last week it became official that State Representative Lyle Larson will not seek another term. He's uh, he's currently in his sixth term in the Texas House. Um, really unique elected official in that you always hear politicians talk about how they, uh, they don't really see themselves as a politician or they're not really into politics. And uh, usually when they say that, it's not true. But Lyle Larson is somebody I actually could see enjoying just fishing uh, on a daily basis and would probably be uh, just as happier, if if not happier, uh, than what he's doing. At the same time, uh, while I don't think that uh, politics is the be all and end all for him, he's spent nearly thirty solid years in in elected office, uh, one elected office or another. But he's someone who I think this year particularly made it clear that he was not in step with the Republican Party that he's been a part of for his entire adult life, and was really striking out at, at the party over this so, sort of the culture war agenda that they put forward in this year's session. Now, Greg, when you look at, at, at Lyle Larson, his legacy, we don't know what he's going to do from here going forward. I mean, I think he's, he's got some plans, but he's, he's not ready to say anything yet. Um, when you look at, at, at his legacy and what a kind of unique figure he's been in Republic, Republican party politics here. I mean, what do you, what do you think about? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. It, it, it feels like he's, this weird figure in that he's uh, kind of a moderate Republican who has no place in his party now. And it, it's, it reminds me a lot of how uh, conservative Democrats felt back in the day, you know, 30, 40 years ago, right. they became Republicans. I think him converting to the Democratic Party, obviously, that's, that's not going to happen. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's, uh, a, you know, he's an office holder completely at odds with his party and you could just you know this has been building i think for for several years now you can just yeah you could just feel it um you know in in the way he talked about each successive legislative session uh and so it's really not surprising i mean he seemed he seemed pretty unhappy uh to be in the legislature this this last regular session and in all the subsequent special section sessions so i mean it's 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 not surprising 
Uh, but I'm really curious about what's next for him. I mean, you said that he's, you know, he's a politician who, you know, kind of the rare politician who can either take it or leave it. And I think that's that's true. But he's spent, you know, as you said, the past 30 years taking it from city council to uh, commissioner's court uh, to the legislature. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about what's next for a while. Just to give you some sense of of, of where his, what his standing is in his party, and I mean, he, he, people who listen to the podcast know that he was on with us about three months ago and said that uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has no soul. And you look into his eyes, and they're kind of kind of dead. And you look in there, and and, and uh, he had an insatiable. He said Dan Patrick has an insatiable lust for power, and so on. Um, but when uh, Lyle Larson uh, tweeted his announcement last week that he was not running for another term, Matt Rinaldi, the Texas Republican Party chair, uh, responded with opportunity for Republicans to pick up a House seat. So that's kind of, uh, that's kind of how he's, he's seen by some of the, the leadership of his own party, that this is not a Republican seat with Lyle Larson in there. Um, uh, yeah. Brian, what stands out to you about Lyle Larson uh, from having covered him over the years? Yeah, I mean, he, he just has always struck me, uh, you know, when I could pin him down for a comment, which was not often. Uh, he didn't, he didn't seem too, he didn't seem too interested in engaging with me when, back when I was a columnist, uh, yeah, didn't yeah. call me back for some reason, but, um, he just, he does strike me as a re- refreshing, uh, refreshingly, uh, honest, uh, a, a truth teller, which, uh, is something that, you know, us journalists appreciate. Um, it, I remember back when we had him on the podcast, I, I was fishing for, uh, for comments about uh, rock quarries because I was working on that project right. that recently published, and uh, you know he he was very uh, straightforward about how he thought that the legislature needs to do more to you know regulate them because there is an imbalance there. And then I was reading in Bruce Selcraig's uh, very well written profile uh, yeah, over the great. weekend that his one of his one of his brothers uh, you know is involved in a rock quarry near San Antonio. So that just kind of underscored to me, even when he has you know familial reason to to not comment on. On something like that, he'll still he can't help himself, but uh, but uh, tell you how he really feels. Yeah, and I think we, you were talking about him, you know, re- uh, responding to calls and so on. And I think this is another area where he's maybe a, a little unique. I mean, in my experience over the years, there were times that I would call, get no response at all. Other times where he'd pick up the phone and you know you'd maybe talk to him for 20, 30 minutes or something. Um, and so, and I've, I've talked to others who've had that similar experience. So I think he just kind of, uh, you know, he kind of did things in his, in his own way. And uh, he's now he's talking a lot about independent party uh, movements. He's, there's been some suggestion that he might be interested in running as an independent for Lieutenant governor. He certainly pushed f- for um, his old friend, Joe Strauss, the, former Texas house speaker to run as an independent for either governor or Lieutenant governor. So, um, well, I think within, based on what Lyle Larson said in that Bruce Selcraig piece, I think within the next month or so, we should know a little bit more. I, I just have to think that he's, that he's got some plans for 2022 because I think he's really, um, just up in arms about what's happened to the Republican party. And I think he's really kind of down on the two party system in general. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about, the race to succeed in, because this is going to be, uh, you know, these, these seats like this, I mean, this is a, we have only two solid Republican, um, Texas house seats, and this is one of them. And, uh, they don't, they don't 
be open up very often. So there's going to be a, a pretty large field to replace him. Already we know about former District Attorney Nico LaHood, who was a former Democrat, will be running as a Republican. Former Council Member Lisa Chan. We know about uh, former Bear County Republican Party Chair Mark DeRazio. And trucking uh, industry executive Adam Blanchard will also be running. Um, Brian, I had to get your thoughts because you certainly have written a lot over the years about both Nico LaHood and, and Lisa Chan. Um, what are your thoughts on the possibility of, uh, of those <laughs> yeah. two being, you know, there, there'll be others in the, in, the, in, the, in the race, but they'll be kind of fighting it out for the nomination. Yeah, I mean, I sure did give them both of them a hard time <laughs> when I was writing writing columns. I mean, of course, with with Elisa Chan, um, we had the secret recording of her disparaging the LGBT community um, right before city council voted on the anti discrimination bill, and of course, Chan, Elisa Chan was a councilwoman at that time, um, and so that you know she had to do you know do some twisty maneuvering to, to get around that. And then with Nico, I mean, I mean, what can I say? You know, he, uh, Nico is, is a, he's a fascinating character. Uh, he's very, uh, he's very distinctive, uh, uh, famously, you know, uh, moving from the Democrat democratic column to Republican, uh, which, which makes sense because a, a lot of his views, even back when he was a Democrat, align more closely with, uh, with the GOP, uh, at least the Texas mm -hmm. GOP. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, he was dismissive of the uh, Islamic community and, and so forth. And, um, I, I think that, so in short, I think that they, you know, they both have some baggage there. Yeah, that's right. And I, you know, he's obviously been known for his uh, anti-vax views and, and was particularly controversial for kind of using the power of his office when he was district attorney to, to put that out there. Uh, more recently with the COVID-19 pandemic, he has uh, been uh, dismissive not only of, of the COVID vaccine, but also uh, masks. Uh, I think he's referred to masks as uh, mouth diapers or face diapers or something like that. Um, I think what, uh, what, what form, what form did he use to be dismissive of the COVID vaccine? Did, did he, did he say he, that publicly? Yes, he is. He has a, he, he has kind of a, I guess you, I don't know what you call it, a video podcast series. Uh, I'm not sure, it, but he, it's out on social media where he, it's, it's called R-rated Christianity. And he and a friend will discuss um, the issue it, religious issues and how they apply basically to modern society. And, um, a few weeks back they were talking about, um, basically, um, saying no one in his family has taken the vaccine and he wouldn't encourage anyone to, to take it. And he was, uh, just sort of mocking the idea of wearing wow. masks and saying wow. that the masks really don't, don't do any good at all. And they were tr basically trying to, to pick apart the, the argument that masks have any, uh, efficacy at all. Um, so, yeah, I, I have to think that that's going to, this is going to come up. It's going to be, you know, these kinds of issues will come up. I, I think one interesting uh, candidate to, to follow in this race is Adam Blanchard, who we don't know, you know, he's never run for office. So uh, he's not going to have the name recognition going in that either uh, LaHood or, or Chan would have. But uh, he's, he's young, he's smart, he's, um, you know, he's going to make a, a strong argument in terms of like, you know, making Texas uh, have policies that are, that are uh, good for the business community. It's going to be a very sort of so 
pro-business kind of classic Republican conservatism. Already he's got, uh, you know, people in the business community kind of lining up behind him. Don't know how that's going to translate into votes in a primary, but I think he's going to be a candidate. He doesn't have the baggage that the, that the others have. I think that's going to be interesting to, to, to watch. Um, I wanted to, uh, to move from that into talking a little bit about um, Governor Greg Abbott and his executive order last week, which mandated that businesses cannot mandate um, vaccination for their employees. It was it was an anti-mandate mandate from the governor. And um, this is you know, kind of the, this is the latest in a series of, of moves he's made uh, to, to I, th- I think, sort of pan- pander or placate, you know, the base of his party. He's got a, a, a primary opponent, Don Huffines, who's been kind of pushing him to do more on, on this issue uh, against vaccine and, and, and mask mandates. But, you know, it, in this case, and, and the legislature is moving forward with a, with a bill because this is what he, he asked them to do. Uh, but Greg, you know, it, it seems that, that the business community in, in Texas, there there have already been several businesses who've signed on to a statement um, or, uh, denouncing the bill that the legislature is considering, which would really is is just an extension of what of what the governor um, signed last week. And uh, I just want to get kind of get your thoughts as you know, as business editor, when you look at something like this, because this is not um, this is not protecting the rights. A, f- a free enterprise or protecting the rights of businesses as he's often, uh, Governor Abbott has often claimed that that's, that's what he's, he's uh, wanting to do. In this case, he's dictating to them. Yeah. And this is just, I mean, clearly this is naked politics. I mean, this is, this is pretty craven. I mean, he's, he's co-opting Don Huffines who came out the day of, uh, or at least very soon after uh, Abbott's announcement of the mandate last week, claiming victory, and he deserved it. <laughs> he did. I mean, he, you know, that's it was it was clearly in you know Abbott's mandate was clearly in response to Huffines. Uh, however, I mean, you know, you've got you've got a real problem in Texas, especially for companies that operate here, have large operations here, but aren't based here. I mean, you've got, you, you got national, you know, fortune 500 companies at work in Texas mm-hmm. who have mandates from headquarters to, you know, yep. <laughs> sure. vaccines are mandatory for employees. So this put the, this, you know, this puts them at odds with what they're doing nationally and multinationally. It depends, you know, on the size of the company, like, like American airlines, United Airlines. Um, so yeah, I mean, like clearly this is a departure that we've, we've kind of seen in the works for a while now. I mean, the, the Texas Republican party, um, you know, it's, it's not the party of big business the way it was. I mean, the, the Texas model, uh, you know, the, the, the ingredient for the supposed, you know, Texas miracle of, seemingly endless job creation was just a very light uh, regulatory touch, low taxation and no mandates. <laughs> and yeah. when it comes, you know, when, when the governor thinks that his reelection might be at stake, that he might not make it out of the Republican party or the uh, Republican primary in 2022, mm-hmm. 
that tradition of the state Republican Party just he's more than happy to jettison it and you know yep. mandate against mandates. Well, you know what's been fascinating about this is you've seen, for example, you know Southwest Airlines imposed a, a vaccine mandate for mm-hmm. their employees, and you had uh, Congressman Chip Roy, whose district includes uh, you know part of San Antonio, was just. Uh, hmm. bashing Southwest Airlines and actually hoping, you know, rooting for their failure, um, you know, and it was kind of taking, hmm. you know, just, he was basically saying to people, let's just bring it all down. If, uh, if they're going to, if they're going to hmm. try to infringe on your freedoms and uh, Ted Cruz was also, you know, bashing Southwest Airlines. Uh, you've seen Ted Cruz def- uh, supporting an, uh, someone who got fired from ESPN um, over the vaccine or through their vaccine mandate. And so you're really seeing more and more, I think, um, leading Republicans attacking businesses and actually rooting for them to fail as a way to, to punish them right. for, I mean, for mandating vaccines. Look, the thing, yeah, I mean, the thing is you can't, you can't embrace hard right populism and placate big business at the same time. <laughs> you can yep. do it for a while, right? Yep. I mean, you can, you know, you can play it point. being the populist, but eventually you will be taken over by the grassroots. And that's really what's happened to the Republican Party now. And, you know, the whatever, you know, whatever close relationship you had with big business, that's going to go away. And I think we're seeing a state Republican Party in the process of kind of divesting itself from, you know, big business in Texas. The thing that's maddening to me about this is obviously we've seen an anti-vax movement grow uh, nationally uh, over the past you know twenty years or so, and it's it's been it's been based on research that uh, the medical community has has debunked many times. But putting that aside, all of us who've grown up in in this state, and I, I think it's probably pretty common in other states too, we all grew up with with the understanding that if we wanted to go enroll in school, if we wanted to go to class, we had to uh, receive certain vaccines. It was just understood. It wasn't, it wasn't questioned. We all accepted the idea of, of vaccine mandates as just something that was ne- needed. We had to take the polio vaccine. We had to take, you know, measles, chickenpox, and hepatitis B and so on. These are, these are state requirements. And um, the idea of a vaccine mandate is nothing new. And we accepted it for our our kids to provide some sort of sort of collective um, reciprocal protection. We we were protecting our kids, and and if everyone was participating in this, we were they were protecting each other. And for some reason, now when we have the worst pandemic of the past one hundred years, and we have a vaccine that's really our only serious protection against that from ser- the serious symptoms of that. You would think people who grew up understanding that they had to get vaccinated as kids, um, their kids had to get vaccinated. In this case, you would think it wouldn't even be a question when we're dealing with something to protect us from this pandemic, which has disrupted our lives for the last year and a half. But now suddenly we're acting as if the concept of a vaccine mandate is this is something new and it's this tyrannical um, government overreach. Um, and I'm I'm just kind of bewildered by it. I mean, I, I, Brian, I was just curious what your thoughts are on this because I, I just, I, this is, this is nothing new. Well, it's, it's even more puzzling when you 
when you think about how it was President Trump who uh, was largely responsible for the fruits of Operation Warp Speed. Exactly. Um, you know, he, he was championing the all through 2020, you know, that was their major push was to was to create these life saving vaccines. And then suddenly you see this, you know, you remember when after Trump lost reelection, he was very he he was not interested in promoting mm-hmm. his own vaccination when he got it. That's right. Um, and, you know, to me, it just it feels like an extension of anti-government, you know, uh, vestige of the Tea Party sentiment, uh, just, you know, hating all hating any government man- mandate whatsoever. Right. Operation Warp Speed, you know, uh, thank God for it. <laughs> but I mean, if you go back, I mean, think about think about the political context of Operation Warp Speed. I mean, that was, you know, he Trump threw his weight behind it because it was better in his mind to do that than to, at the time, embrace, you know, government shutdowns, mask mandates, all kinds of stuff that was going on at the state and local level uh, early in the pandemic to try to stop this thing. Uh, for him, it was just much easier to take the vax route. Like mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that doesn't mean he was ultimately going to buy into it. <laughs> it yeah. Yeah. For him, it was strategic. I really believe that it was like you know it was it was the appearance of action in the face of of a lot of inaction on on his part. Yeah, and and you know the, the we're, we're part of this whole anti-vax thing, uh, and really part of the Republican dogma over the past year, uh, or since Trump left office, has been you know pushing uh, you know therapeutic uh, treatments for people who get hospitalized with COVID, and I and that's that's fine, but to simultaneously be uh, encouraging uh, vaccine resistance when you know the vaccine based on on the the data that we're seeing has a really good chance of keeping you out of the hospital if you get covid and why why would you prefer to say i'm going to get it and take my my take the the chance that i'm going to be hospitalized and then try to get you know treatment when i'm in the hospital i think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the the warping effect of social media on, on sure. all this i mean there's so Absolutely. many people who are getting just straight up mis and disinformation about the vaccine Absolutely. and they, they believe it because they don't have any, they, they don't follow, some, you know, there's a large portion of, of America that does not uh, follow any legitimate news source. So, yeah, no, that's absolutely yeah, right. In fact, you're already seeing on Twitter this morning, government, or pardon me, uh, General Colin Powell, who passed away from complications related to, to COVID. I mean, you know, he was, you know, his immune system was compromised and you know he was he was battling cancer, and you know he he succumbed to to COVID. You're already seeing uh, anti-vaxxers say, "Look, this is yet you know more evidence that this just does not work." <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. everything we've done over the last yeah. year and a half has been for naught. Yeah, that's not how science works. But okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, before, before we wrap things up, I wanted to talk uh, a little bit about, um, we, we mentioned the culture war agenda that the, the GOP in Texas has pushed over the this legislative uh, or the series of legislative sessions we've had in tw- 2021. And one of them has been the 
something that the Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick was advocating for from the, the beginning of the year and uh, it's, uh, finally passed the legislature during the special session, which is um, it's a bill banning transgender kids from participating in school sports that align with their gender identity. So for example, a, a transgender high school girl could not compete in girls track and field. Uh, one of the things that is that has come up, and this is another issue on which we've seen the business community in Texas um, try to urge lawmakers not to go forward with this, but they haven't listened. Um, and with this, you've 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 got something. There has really been um, when this has been questioned, no one has really presented any evidence or examples where this has even really come up in Texas, where there has been any problem or, or issue in, in, in sports in Texas. Um, yeah, I think there've been very, very few incidents nationally, but, um, Greg, when you, when you look at this, um, is this just another case of just trying to, um, you know, trying to just, uh, f feed the base more raw meat for the uh, red meat for the base? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is Dan Patrick looking at his list of potential uh, scapegoat targets mm -hmm. and coming to the conclusion. It's like, okay, there there may be only two gr two groups left. I can just nakedly scapegoat undocumented workers and transsexual Texans. That's all this is about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is it's not addressing any, not even a perception of a problem. No, nobody says there's a problem with you know high school sports competition among among transsexuals it's 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 a non-issue uh and for the lieutenant governor to raise it as he has i mean it just it, it's very clear he's feeding as much red meat as he can to the base and you know unfortunately transsexual teens are are the victims in this case you know, and one of the things that's been fascinating about this um, has been the way advocates of this legislation in Texas and in other states, because a few other states have similar, um, have, have passed similar bills, is the way it's been framed as almost like a pro-feminist sort of move. Like we're really advocating for women's uh, and girls sports. And we just don't, you know, we, we really want to see, you know, women in sports succeed. And it's just really unfair for, for, for women to have to, uh, compete against transgender individuals. So it's, it's been framed as this kind of a very kind of, you know, uh, solidarity with women sort of thing. And which is, it's been a little bit strange, but I have found, you know, I wrote about this issue in, in January uh, or February when, when, uh, Dan Patrick first talked about it. And I found that, you know, I'd have parents saying, well, you know, what about our, our, our girls who are competing in sports and they're going to, this is not fair to them. And again, it really is not, um, it really hasn't been an issue, but it's just Dan Patrick, I think realizes that, um, that if you, if you, if you frame it a certain way, it will resonate with, with, uh, a part of the, the Texas populace. I mean, it, it does. Cause I, I found that and, uh, it, it, it continually gets, gets framed as, you know, this is unfair to girls competing in sports. Um, what are you, know, and, uh, it's really hard. It's really hard to sort of rebut that, that it's, uh, I think it's an absurd argument, but it's really hard to rebut that. And, and, you know, the, the, 
the result of it is that you have um, transgender kids who have so many challenges already to deal with. They're really being marginalized here and scapegoated um, and, and, and really excluded from participation in something, uh, you know, if, if there are instances where transgender kids want to participate in sports, they're, they're really being excluded and told them, told there's no place for you at all. Well, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the issue that came up in the, the you know, governor's, the, the primary upcoming primary election for governor with, uh, mm-hmm. wasn't it Huffines who claimed credit for, uh, you know, getting the governor to r- remove a, a page on a, a state website that offered suicide prevention services to, uh, L- the LGBT community and, right. That's right. You know, transgender kids. It's just, you know, it's just this, this issue that, that, uh, that the far right in Texas can, can hammer on repeatedly, you know, to, you know, to, to score points with their own base, at, you know, but at what cost, you know, I mean, this is, there's th- these, these kids are really, really suffering and there's not a lot of compassion for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well on, uh, on that note, I mean, I think we, uh, there's no, you know, getting back to what we talked about at the beginning with a lot of Larson, there's, there's clearly, I think a lot of frustration in the state. Um, and certainly there's, I think a national perception, which is, uh, not un, unwarranted that, that, uh, that Texas has kind of gone off the deep end politically. Um, it, it's not completely a new phenomenon, but certainly this session has been a really extreme example of that. So, um, you know, we're, we're heading into an election cycle and I think that, um, uh, you know, all these things are going to be litigated and I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, for everyone listening in, we really appreciate it. Um, hope everyone's doing well and we'll, we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye.